0: Have you ever thought that the pluralism in our churches, the differences between us, is not negative, it's really God's way for us to reach a lost world.
1: Welcome to the Tiger Alumni Podcast from East Texas Baptist University. My name is Carrie Johnson, class of 1994, and as the Director of Alumni Relations at ETBU, I'll be your host. Every day I have the opportunity to meet and visit with phenomenal alumni of various ages and stages in life. I often feel sad that others don't get to hear what we say. So we've decided to capture some of the conversations here with the hopes of sharing them with you. I'm so glad you're here. Today I get to talk with Dr. Bob Utley, a 1972 graduate from Marshall, Texas. In addition to his time spent as a student on the Hill, Dr. Utley returned to campus and spent several years as a professor. Here is part one of our conversation. Tell me how you got to ETBU.
0: Uh, Well, it's a really cool story. You know, I was kind of a motorcycle thuggy type when God called me to preach, and it it really scared me to death. But I knew I I needed to make a change, so my apartment was uh, part of Houston, and I went down to the U-Totem, right? And I saw this guy had a shirt, ETBC, and I said, what is that? He said, oh, it's this Baptist college up by Texarkana. And I said, well, I'm going to go there because I need to get out of town. I'd never been in the school, never contacted. I've never heard about them. That, that one t-shirt. t-shirt did it. Yeah. <laughs>
1: That's awesome. How old were you?
0: Twenty-one.
1: Twenty-one. Mm-hmm. And you came straight away.
0: Yeah, and it scared me to death. I I, I want to tell you about that because it's it's. I hope this is going to be a blessing to smaller churches. The school said, "Well, sure, you you'll be uh, preaching some to pay for your school." And I I said, "If I got to preach, I'm not coming," because mm-hmm. I was terrified of people. Really, it was. I. honestly, I thought, well, I'll get I'll get some kind of alcohol that doesn't smell, put it in my desk and drink it before I try to go out and talk. So it was it was a terrifying experience. Small churches here in East Texas let me come on Wednesday nights. And, you know, still, I remember the ladies would say to me, Bob, you did good. You want another tuna fish sandwich? And so Mm -hmm. I, I could speak five minutes or 20 minutes. And it was just encouragement. Right. And I don't think small churches realize the power they have to help young preachers. And I don't see it a lot today. You know, young ter- young preachers don't have a chance to to start somewhere. You know, they want yeah. you to be professional right off the bat. Well, that doesn't happen. So, the, And I can still remember the first time I got to preach on a Sunday night. Oh, it was so exciting. <laughs> uh, terrifying, but exciting. So I just want to give a shout out to the small churches around here who... Let me come and would encourage them to try to make a plan to let young people come, maybe once a month on a Wednesday night or even a Sunday night. Um,
1: so you had to you had to preach to pay for. Oh, it was that's a so much. Funny.
0: You know, I, when I look at the price of the school for my grandchildren now, I tell people, you know, I when I came here, ETBC was thirty two dollars an hour.
1: Nice.
0: The BGCT paid half of that. And Peggy and I still had to borrow money because, you know, back then it was just so. uh, Yeah.
1: Now, were you married when you moved to Marshall?
0: Um, You know, I came here and then I went home the first week, got married and came back. So Peggy and I lived down in student housing that flooded all the time. And so we started together right here.
1: So our first
0: child was born here, Michelle.
1: So tell me, you you meet the guy with the T-shirt. You come have a visit you go back and tell Peggy
0: what yeah when I met Peggy um you know when I kind of got off the motorcycle and out of the bars I remember saying to God I need a Christian lady Mm. so there was a church where I had gone as a child and then when I I was called a preacher about 12 it scared the fool out of me so I ran for 10 years and uh my apartment was a place where all the people came, and we would put notes on the door. We we're at so-and-so striptease place, or they're <laughs> just all over my door. And this Sunday school teacher came. He, his name is Merlin Merritt. He worked for Nassau during that time. He was one of the guys in the control room. Okay. And he was the director of that class, and he put a note on my door, and I still have it in my house. It says, "Bob, no need to strip for this trip. See you in church Sunday." Oh That that nonjudgmental invitation caused me to go back. And um, I met Peggy in training union, right? Okay. And uh, we just knew, I think we were married within six months. That's great. So, and it's lasted 53 years now as of September the 6th.
1: Oh, my goodness.
0: Pretty exciting.
1: Yeah. What's the secret?
0: You know, I think uh, being able to realize that other people's position has validity, though you don't agree with it. And being able to forget when you get your feelings hurt or get mad and get over it. And and that's helped me through the years. And, you know, finally, my marriage is a reflection of my relationship with Jesus. So I need to make sure that that thing is healthy. And I think in our day, Carrie, I think a strong marriage may be the best religious witness to our society. because they're so miserable I I hear these songs I love uh, Carly Simon songs mm-hmm. and I think I love them because I'm so sad of the miserable lives emotion that people face when they yeah. try to face a fallen world by themselves mm, yeah. my soul
1: and I think the the sheer witness of two people different who, completely different in most yeah. cases continuing to to make a way That's right like, just I mean it's just a just the only choice you just take right. away and um, I and we it's becoming one of the few places in society where that kind of commitment um, is paving the way everybody else there's just we just discount dismiss disregard degrade like there's well it's
0: instant gratification if you're not gratifying me and doing what I want I'll find somebody else it's yeah it's a tragedy
1: yeah um, what do you do when you disagree with someone whether it's your wife or a a colleague or someone in your church?
0: Well, I think what's been helpful to me is I try to realize that they have a point. I mean, usually it's not all one sided or the other. Usually it's a half truth or a good point. And so I try to put myself in their shoes and say, now this is where they're coming from. And if I understand that, you know, it's helped me to realize that the more, you know, the more, you know, you don't know. Yeah. Right. And I think the most arrogant thing we ever think is, if you disagree with me or my theology, you disagreed with God. Now, wait just a minute. We're all broken, right? Right. And we're doing the best we know with our gift and experience. And so, But I think what really helped me, if you just me, let me run with that a minute, I got to do evangelism overseas, a lot with the school, took students for years and years, and then even after that. And when I began to meet Baptists overseas, great Christians who never thought about doing church the way we do, mm-hmm. I suddenly realized the parochialism, the blinders that I had from Southern culture mm-hmm. that I thought was Christianity. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't. It's Southern culture.
1: Right, right. I want to know, uh, when you were here as a student, you were a, you were automatic. You were never here as a single student. You came as a married For student. One
0: week I was single. One week you were single.
1: <laughs> um, did you make good grades? What was it like to— I think
0: I made one C my whole time, and it was a Claire Rogers speech class.
1: Oh, gosh.
0: Oh, it was horrible.
1: (laughs) You've done all right in the speech department, though. Oh, boy. You've been talking all these
0: years.
1: (laughs) If you had a choice between sitting down with um, someone one-on-one or maybe a small group or a pretty sizable audience, what's your preference?
0: Yes, I am a type A introvert, which means I I can function well in large groups and... um, I'm nervous about being trapped in a car with anybody. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So,
0: yeah, I prefer a larger group. And it's not because I don't want interaction. Um, I really don't know. I'm just not really an an outgoing person unless I feel like it's for the kingdom.
1: Okay. Okay. All right.
0: So people say to me, w- "When you come to your church, will you stay with a family?" And I go, "Can you put me in Motel 4? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'd rather be in Motel Four than with a family and have to visit every day. No, no. Thanks. All the chatter.
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay, so if um, so, if you did agree to a one-on-one or a, a car ride with someone, um, who who would make the top? Three? Who would make the list of top three? I often that say he- in,
0: in sermons and humor, I'd rather be in a car with a loving charismatic than a pickle sucking Baptist <laughs> because I hate legalism and arrogance. It drives me crazy. So, of course, I think if I could talk to anybody, the the, the people of the Bible, you know, Jesus and Paul, I, I primarily am a Pauline in my theology. Okay. And, um, um, so I would I would ask him you get in the car with Paul. I want to ask him why did you change the definition of all those words in different places and, and he would slap me and we would be friends but uh, <laughs> and I think my theology through the years uh, has become more uh arminian. Okay. So I really would like to have known Wesley, mm-hmm. right? And mm-hmm. um it has helped me in Baptist life. I Baptists have tended to be several point Calvinists. That's where we came out of I feel like I'm a gift to Baptists they don't want. <laughs> because I keep saying to them, Can you show me in the Bible where you got that? Yeah. And then I have the freedom and they have the freedom. I gotta have a chance to pray about it, research it, and then I get to walk in the light I have because I'm in Christ, right? Yeah. So I'm I think Baptists have confused unity and uniformity.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That that's a great that's an interesting way to put it.
0: Have you ever thought that the pluralism in our churches, the differences between us and is not negative. It's really God's way for us to reach a lost world because I can reach some. And it took me forever to realize I can't please everybody. I can't reach everybody. So I need to pray for those who can reach others who are different than me. And I need to be content to not make everybody happy, right? right. So our diversity is really God's way to reach a diverse lost world.
1: Yeah. When you say I can walk in the light that I have, that's a pretty. I heard uh, one of our alums from the '90s quoted you saying that. So you've yeah, been saying that a while. I have. Did Did you get that from someone?
0: No, and the trick. I need to clarify that because it's not like perfect freedom. Mm-hmm. I have to walk in my current understanding, but I have to be open to more insight from Scripture and the Spirit. Right. Mm-hmm. So the light. The light brightens and dims depending on the issue, okay. but I need to be willing to change my mind on something if I'm convinced that scripture and, and whatever. So it's helped me. I guess what that thing is, is trying to convey is I believe that you have dignity as a person. You have freedom in Christ and I, I can't put my grid on you, right? I've got to let you be you. But as a Bible teacher, I can say, can you show me in the Bible where you got that. And if you can't, then I don't have to do it. It's the same with charismatics who say to me, the the Spirit, tell me what this means. And I always say to them, well, you ought to thank God the Spirit speaks to you. I don't get that kind of message. And if you think the Spirit speaks to you, you must obey. But unless you can show me in the Bible, I don't have to obey because your theology is not God's theology, right? Mm -hmm. So,
1: As a student, what professors do you remember... Um, broadening your illumination. Sure. First you. of all, I
0: want to say to you that names are starting to slip me at 75. For sure. For and sure. People you can ask just me, say the unnamed people one. People <laughs> ask me, they say, Do, do you know so and so? He was in your class. And my new answer is, do You know, I had many classes. And a lot of people, and I don't remember that name, but it's good because you really only remember the strange
1: ones.
0: (laughs) (laughs) His name was Jim. He was a a man who came out of the military. He wanted to teach at New Orleans, and finally he did. He was uh, one of the professors here when I was here. And I remember going down to Central Baptist Church as a student. And he did a study on Ephesians, and he started doing word by word. This is the word do loss, and it means household, slave, and I was enamored. Mm. And from that point on, I think I've been committed to exegetical, verse-by-verse Bible study. And so it, it, the pattern was really set here. Though I think the professor, through all my career, that probably influenced me the most is Bill Hendricks at Southwestern. Okay. And let me tell you what he said that just, my mind just exploded. He said, the reason that Americans don't understand the Bible is because we are Greek thinkers, and the Bible is an Eastern book. Mm. And it presents truth in tension-filled pairs. And we are Western literalists. Suddenly, you know, I love the Bible. I want to serve Jesus. I want to be pleasing to God. But the Bible seems to contradict itself. And you got denominations using this proof text and other denominations equally using this. And I've come to the place to say, and I say it a lot as a Christian, I do not have the right to let one inspired text damage or depreciate another inspired text. Mm. So my friends would say, get off the fence. You get Is it Calvinism or Arminianism? Is it predestination free will? Is it security or is it perseverance? And my answer became yes. Yeah. Because if they're both in the Bible, I don't have the right to make it exclusive. Right. I've just got to figure out how does this fit together in some kind of mysterious hole that I'm never going to fathom this side of heaven. So, yeah.
1: Do you remember anyone that you uh, learned with, um, fellow students that helped shape your faith journey, or was it you were probably not as socially uh, because you're an introvert because you came married.
0: Yeah, Carrie, I tell you what, you know, I I, I know you're not going to probably relate to this, but when I came, um. I had this new wife, that yeah. was all new. I, I didn't do good in school before this, and suddenly it's a brand new motivation. right So I worked part-time at Gibson's, okay. I had my first part-time church, and I took full loads every time, 18 so, hours yeah. every semester, full summers, and got out in less than I think right over three years. but there was an, I can't believe how busy I was, yeah. but it was focused. it was I, I felt was God called, yeah. yeah yeah
1: Did you speak up in class a lot?
0: I don't think I did. Um, I kind of, and I think it's lost today. I had a respect for professors that even if I didn't disagree, I wanted to understand where they were coming from, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, when I was here, this place was a little fundamental militant.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. Um, I had a guy who said to me, do you believe the Bible? I said, yeah. He said, do you believe the trees skip like rams? I said, I think that's poetry. He said, I knew you didn't believe the Bible. So that was kind of the atmosphere. So yeah. those guys attacked these professors in class, and I felt very, very uncomfortable with that. Yeah. I like a dialogue, but I don't like a try to make points and put somebody on the spot.
1: So you were called to preach, you say, and when did that um, hybrid or transition into educating or was educating always part of it Academics.
0: no no it was a total surprise so I, I i tell the joke when i grew up the church when they asked you to come down front it was either be saved or be a missionary and if it was a country you couldn't pronounce it was more spiritual right they didn't want you to go for other gifts right so That's teaching right. wasn't part of one of the come down front gifts so i thought pastor was really my only option but i, I pastor in love for 10 years and people started saying to me bob pastors don't use 10 verbs <laughs> they don't do exegesis and, uh, you yeah. know, um, lex- down, <laughs> yeah, so I, we don't care. It's present, passive imperative. Well, I began and this will surprise you. I don't have a Ph.D. I have a D. Men from okay. Trinity Evangelical. And people said, well, you can't teach. Nobel let you teach. Well, I, I just wrote a letter to the six churches, Baptist schools in Texas and said, I feel like I have a, a, a teaching gift. I I want to make myself available as an opportunity. Well, of course, nobody got back to me except ETBU. And the reason it did is because...
1: What year was this? I'm sorry.
0: 1987. Okay. And the dean had been part of a church that I was in in Fort Worth during seminary, and he knew me. Yeah. And he was willing to give me a chance. Yeah. So
1: So you came in 87 and started teaching full-time, or was it a part-time Yeah, I want to
0: tell you this story because, again, it's just... I'm coming out of the pastorate. At this point, I'm doing preview Sunday school lessons, video and audio for all three Southern Baptist Sunday school lessons. Okay. Okay. So I had 27 videos I had to do when I came. I had five courses my first semester. I'd never taught a course. I had to do all the syllabuses and all the planning. And then I had to finish my doctrinal program at Trinity Evangelical. And I remember telling telling God, I don't think I can do this. I do not think I can do this. So I came to the point, I'm going to take what's absolutely crucial right now and do that. And I look back over it. um, It was terrifying, and I'm sure I could have done better if I'd had more time on it. But I got through it, and the things that people have complimented me on through the years about my class were things that happened that first semester when I structured those classes. So I just feel like the spirit was involved in that.
1: How long did you stay When you came in 87, how long did you teach here?
0: I think I retired in 2003. Uh, I was at a revival in Hugh Springs. Um, Votie Bachem was preaching Ah. on Ephesians. Yeah. I remember the the night, and I felt like God say to me, I want you to go back in the churches and teach this Bible interpretation method. And I said, well, I belong to you. So I came home and told Peggy, I said, "Um, we need to put the house up. I think we're going to be leaving. And my wife, I just love her that she said, well, Bob, I don't care where you go as long as I can go with you. Uh-huh. Oh, bless your heart. <laughs> oh, she's so sweet. <laughs> but I found, Carrie, that pastors do not want their people to know hermeneutics because these three chinchy points and a dog story at the end it ain't going to cut it no more, right?
1: It's threatening. So right?
0: churches, most churches would not let me come and because my goal is, and I, I want to say this clearly. People always ask me, what is the ultimate goal of all you do? I want to make God's people hungry for the Bible. Mm-hmm and then give them the ways to do it themselves. Because I believe the Bible was given not to the pastor, not to the church, I mean to the university, but to the, the common Christian. Mm-hmm. And what we've done is let specialists take it out of our hands and make us feel uncomfortable. So I want to empower Christians, make them hungry, and then empower them to do self-feeding. Because I hear folks say, well, my pastor doesn't feed me. Well, who told you he's supposed to? Okay. You're supposed to be feeding yourself. Mm-hmm. And we've lost that.
1: Tell me how we got to um, Bible Studies International.
0: Sure. Um, <clears throat> I think when I was uh, first surrender to preach, you search for where truth is found. And I realized that a lot that I've been told was simply personal opinion or philosophy. And I came to the place that the Bible really was the only source for faith and practice. That's not a cliche for me. I mean, that's bedrock. And then I was astonished that in the little church, First Baptist, Bel Air, Texas, the leaders didn't agree on much. I mean, there's a real disagreement among godly people what the Bible said and meant. And I remember when I, a professor from up at Trinity Evangelical said, D.A. Carson, we claim the Bible's inerrant. Then we can't agree on anything it says that's self-defeating. Okay. Yep. So we hold the Bible up, say wonderful things about it. Then we kill each other over a different interpretation of some peripheral issue. Well, that became just the focus of my life. I really wanted to know truth. And uh, my church during seminary was Sagamore Hill. They let me teach a lot. And I started going verse by verse through books and spending a lot of time preparing for that. And so like, it was like a laser. Um, people began to ask me to do other things. And I, I No is a spiritual word. (laughs) And so I have focused on one thing in my life, and that is how to interpret the Bible and help others interpret the Bible. So I became committed to what's called the Antiochian school or the common sense method, where the original author, the only inspired person, is the key in Bible interpretation and what the first hearers would have, should have could have understood becomes the way I evaluated interpretation now Mm -hmm. so every text has one meaning but many applications Mm -hmm. but the applications must be linked to the original meaning so when I begin to present that Christians I great Christians I love would say we've never heard that Mm -hmm. Uh, this makes it so much easier for me and so I've kind of uh, taken that ball and run with it. And the second thing I've done a lot of overseas teaching and seminaries overseas and evangelism in, in small churches. So I'd go to a pastor's office. He'd have one little desk, a, a naked light and very few books. And when you went to the bookstores, there were translations, but they were five times more expensive than here. Hmm. So I was in Haiti at an OMS seminary teaching hermeneutics there and, And I was in a Capetian church. I couldn't understand anything. And I walked out in the balcony, and I felt God say to me, I want you to go home and give it all away. I said, okay. And then very soon, I I remember I was in chapel. It was right before chapel. Here? Uh Uh-huh. Okay. I got a a message from Lagos that said uh, Bill Bright is going to put out a training disc, and he has some extra room, and he wants permission to put your New Testament commentaries on it and it's gonna be translated in 50 languages and given away. I was so excited. I remember walking in, telling your dad about it. (laughs) And look what's happened. Um, Bill Bright died before that got done. So here I got this message from Haiti and this message from Lagos. And I put those together by doing a disc, a disc on interpretation and a disc on the commentaries. And I've sent 150,000 of those out worldwide free. For free? hmm Now today, computers don't have the little CD drive disc. Right. So we've gone to online Zooms, YouTube, Facebook, stuff like that to get it out.
1: What was your first international trip?
0: Norway. Scared the fool out of me. You know what scared me, Carrie? This You'll love this. I, I have, I've had my master's you know, in divinity. Uh, I pastored a few churches. And the thing that terrified me, if I knocked on a door and they asked me a question I couldn't answer, and the devil used that to keep me silent. Mm. So it was very important in the midst of my fear. I took 16 people with me first trip to Norway. How old were you? Oh, I was probably, um, 25, 26, something like that. Mm-hmm. Maybe, maybe the Lord, maybe 29, okay. but, um, 16 of us went and they, they divided us in churches. And, um, it was important that I worked through that fear because fear has been the crippler of evangelism and, uh, you know the students here i, I taught evangelism here and uh, i don't teach the history no we're going to go do it so we would go to the fair here in marshall or go to shreveport on one of their deals and i just i don't want to be crude with you but we would all be scared we'd get together we'd hold hands we'd pray we'd throw up and then we would go do it right i yeah. mean that's what you got to do yeah. and these young people would say they'd win somebody to christ and they'd say to me that's the first time i've never done that they would win somebody, and I wouldn't. It was so embarrassing, but it was really important. We did it. Yeah. So, and the young people that I took overseas, I was hoping that they would see how God can use them in evangelism, and that they would come home and do it and be available for mm-hmm. the rest of their lives to do it. So, it certainly affected my theology when I saw the differentness in the in the evangelicalism in the world, yeah. and it certainly. It seems to be easier to go overseas as an introvert i got an interpreter and i i I stay on the topic because i can't talk about anything else right no small talk (laughs) so we had a we had our testimony in the language we usually had a record that plays with the pencils amazing got people's attention and then we have a series questions with bible verses and then i thought the real kicker of this was a sample prayer that we read to the person and our question was is this something you would like to say to god now, most of them would say yes. Now, I don't know their heart, but what, what I kept saying is we've prayed, we've presented the gospel, we've given them a chance to response. I think that's all my, I think my responsibility is over. The rest has got to be the spirit, right? Mm-hmm. If it was sincere, they're, they're going to be kingdom people. And if it wasn't and they just wanted me out of their house, then it doesn't make any difference to anything, right? Yeah.
1: As a reminder, this has been part one of a two-part series, so be sure to subscribe and listen to the conclusion. Find more alumni spotlights by visiting www.etbu.edu alumni. Stay up to date by following us on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and Twitter. Thanks for listening, and may the light on the hill never die.